We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Sorry about that, guys. I got interrupted. Uh, anyway, I um, I want to talk about the truth behind slavery. And I listened to a great class by Chris Ann Hall's husband. Dang it. Um, I lost track of his mind. I mean, his, his name in my mind. Um, but it was really, really good. And I've done some research myself. Um, and there's a, a lie out there that America was formed for the sole purpose of enshrining slavery or um, uh, preserving slavery. And all you have to do is read like the, the Federalist Papers and the, our, the words of the Founding Fathers understand that is, has nothing to do with it. In fact, um, the way they worded the uh, Constitution was so that in the future, slavery would be abolished. Well, I found out, I was... Um, reading Federalist Paper, I think it was 46. And this was shocking. This is from, um, let's see, James Madison. And one of the things, like he, he touched on the role of federal government and the states, but in his discourse, he talked about slavery. And they wanted, the Founding Fathers that did not support slavery because a lot of people don't understand it was forced on the colonists by the Brits. It was a law. And that's why um, when George Washington died, he could not release his slaves um, or his wife's slaves because they belonged to her. She had to do that at her death. And then you could only do it at death. You couldn't release them before. And so George Washington, when he died, he gave all of the slaves that he had uh, freedom. So a lot of our founding fathers, majority of our founding fathers detested slavery and they felt that it was very evil. Well, Madison um, writes here that they were hoping to abolish it uh, within 20 years, I believe. And, um, and then he says, let's see, let me make sure I can find this um, on slavery. Maybe it was Federalist 42. Yeah, it might be Federalist 42. Let me get to that. The Federalist paper, papers are very interesting. Yeah, Federalist paper 42. He says, It were doubtless to be wished the power of prohibiting the importation of slaves had not been postponed until the year 1808, or rather that had been suffered to have immediate operation. But it is not difficult to account either for this restriction on the general government or for the manner in which the whole clause is expressed. 
It ought to be considered as a great point gained in favor of humanity that a period of 20 years may terminate forever within these states, a traffic which has so long and so loudly upbraided the barbarism, uh, barbarism of modern policy that within that period it will receive a considerable discouragement from the federal government and may be totally abolished by the concurrence of the few states which continue the unnatural traffic and the prohibitory, sorry, Example, which has been given by so great a majority of the Union. Happy would it be for the unfortunate Africans if the equal prospect lay before them of being redeemed from the oppressions of their European brethren. And what was fascinating is that some of the people in office, um, they tolerated the illicit, pro uh, uh, the illicit practice, what he called it, but others said it was beneficial immigration from Europe to uh, America. He said, these are so stupid, I'm not even going to give them time to address those two things. Um, and that's Sherry per paraphrasing. But I thought it was very interesting that even, you know, back then, uh, if we read history books today or we read anything like the 1619 Project, etc., we're told that America was inherently racist, that we created this country in order to maintain slavery. And we can see from a lot, for a lot of our founding fathers, that was not the case. Frederick Douglass, uh, who was an abolitionist, he used to think the same things until he started reading the actual writings of the founding fathers and the constitution. He didn't just take hearsay. He didn't just listen to what everybody else was saying something meant. He actually read the source and he realized it was one of the most brilliant documents because the founding fathers made sure the language in the Constitution would enable the federal government to legally end slavery. So as we see from this, 20 years they wanted to get rid of it. Unfortunately, we had to go to war. Uh, so um, for some reason, America gets the worst rap when it comes to slavery. And and we're the most demonized. And I'm not sure why. I'm, it might be because we ended up having to go to war to get rid of it. I don't know, except that maybe there's people out there that just want to keep people victims and oppressed and keep a nation divided because they know that a nation divided uh, will not last. But slavery at the time was a social system that was everywhere. Every culture, every race at some point participate in this evil. In fact, there's still slavery today. Um, European slaves were traded in the African and Arab slave mar markets. Okay, so in case y'all didn't hear me, European slaves were traded in the African and Arab slave markets. That was during the time we were fighting to end it here. Um, and then the other error is that slaves were only black. That is not true. Um, the way slavery is presented today is that it isolates truth and it isolates victims and perpetrators. Slavery was one of the main factors that caused us to gain independence from Britain. Thomas Jefferson in July of 1774 said, the abolition of domestic slavery is the great object of desire in these colonies where it was unhappily introduced in their infant state. In other words, we, we didn't have the power to stop it because we were British subjects. 
we uh, voiced that we didn't want it in our colonies and Britain didn't care. What was interesting is the first official slave owner was actually a black man. Um, a lot of people don't know that. And I might have his name in my notes. I've taught on this before in, um, I think, the Black Lives Matter series in the We the Deplorables podcast. But um, what happened is when slaves were brought over into the colonies, people would um, buy them because, I mean, if they didn't do something, they were going to be harmed. And so they um, created indentured servants. And so what they did is they would create contracts like, okay, we don't own you, but we did pay a price. So work this long and then you're, you'll be given your freedom and we'll give you land and help you get started. And so that's how we did it for a while. Well, then a black man who was a very wealthy man, he uh, continued the same practice and um, he had an individual, an indentured servant, I guess is what you would call them, who just would not work. And no matter what he did, he could not get him to work. So the case went before the court and the court decreed that that man would never gain his freedom because he just refused to work. And therefore, the first slave was in this country and uh, again, owned by a black man. So a black man owned a black man. A black man bought indentured servants. Um, so the colonies, when you look at how we were formed, we were actually in a business contract with Great Britain. So the founder of the colony was the crown. It was that country. And people back then actually respected the law. And so we were a very law-abiding citizenry. And we would follow the laws of Britain, obviously, until they started becoming a problem. So the crown would give a loan to a group of people. They would come here, settle that land, or buy it. That's another fallacy, by the way, that we took the land from the Indians. We did not. Uh, Pennsylvania was uh, purchased. Uh, Connecticut was purchased. Only when the British incited the Indians to attack American colonists did we then find ourselves at war with them. Until then, we enjoyed a very peaceful uh, coexistence, and we purchased the land outright. So the people would then settle in the colony and then they would have to pay back the loans. That meant they had to work the land. You know, they had to make money in their colony. And so they formed their own government uh, and ran it like a state would run or a city runs uh, their city. But we're, you know, we have, um, you know, we the people actually is the power, then the local, then the county, then the state, then the feds. Feds should have the least. Just wait till I get to the supremacy clause. We'll get that myth blown out of the water that the federal government has supremacy. They don't. Um, so they would do all of that. Well, the population began to resist slavery. They just did not want it. And um, for Britain, it was a, a, a business interest. And so they fought back against the colonists. And that's why we did the indentured servant thing. So America started off with 300,000 Irish, English, and Scottish until 1775, right before the revolution. That's when England sent the poor criminals and street children to America for slavery. So it wasn't just blacks that were sent to America. It was the poor, the criminals, and street children or orphans. Oh, here it is. Uh, Anthony Johnson. 
He was the first slave owner in the country, and he was black. This was in 1665. So uh, indentured 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 slaves were in the colony of Virginia, or servants were in the colony of Virginia until 1635. Uh, as a freeman purchases um, in 1647, uh, uh, Anthony Johnson's, Johnson, he purchased a calf. He also owned a large plot of land. In 1651, he had acquired 205-plus acres by buying the contracts of five indentured servants. In 1645, the Virginia Taxation Act said that all free black men and women and all other men from the age of 16 to 60 were tithable. Um, he had a slave named John K. Sore, and in 1653, his service respired, expired, but he held him, Anthony Johnson held him illegally because he said he did not fulfill his contract of work. And so in 1655, the court found that Johnson uh, owned Kaser for life. So that's how all of that came to pass. So for, for that point on, we then had slavery. Johnson then acquired more slaves. Um, now, Kesor, in his defense, he said that he did work and that uh, Johnson refused to let him go. And so he, he, you know, he wouldn't let him go free. And then the courts ruled in Johnson's favor. Um, so this set a, a precedent and it increased slavery in all of the colonies. I've got my notes here. So, um, and what was sad is it the whole indentured servant thing and this slavery business, because people did bring their slaves over. I mean, there, there definitely slavery existed. I'm not saying that slaves were not brought with their owners. I'm saying that an American colonist is, uh, who was a black man is the first one that made slavery legal or a law. I shouldn't say legal. He made it the norm. I guess you would say most people were resisting it. He made it the norm. Okay, it was even dying out at that point. Um, now, people could own people and never let them be free. And this was through the courts. And that's why, you know, just because someone wears a robe or someone sits on a bench, that doesn't mean that they're all wise. There are a lot of bad laws that have been enforced by courts or even laws that have been made by courts, that, and that's not even their jurisdiction, that's legislative. There's a lot of bad judgments that have come from judges. So just because someone is a judge or they sit on the bench or they're in that type of field doesn't mean they're always correct. And in this case, the court said a man could own a man. And obviously that was incorrect. Uh, Thomas Jefferson in June of 1776 says he has waged cruel war against human nature itself violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. Determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or to restrain this execrable commerce. He's referring to the king, and he's saying, we don't want it here. That's, that's what he kept saying. And, and all, you know, the founding fathers, we don't want it here. But the king kept insisting that we have it here. So the northern states, by the way, had slaves. New York had the second largest population of all. In fact, 20% 
of the population of New York were slaves. And that, of course, contradicts the narrative that only the Southerners had slaves because the winners write history, right? And it was also a marketing tool to make the North look good and the South look bad during the war. So you always have to ask yourself, what is the motive, the agenda behind the narrative? Because there's always a motive and an agenda behind the narrative of people. So uh, in 1712, there was a slave re revolt in New York because the Dutch laws of slavery were replaced by the British and they were harsh and cruel. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Um, wow. So during the revolt, 70 black men were arrested, 27 put on trial, 21 sentenced to death, 20 burned at the stake, one executed on a breaking wheel. After the revolt, British government made slave laws even more uh, restrictive. So until America was free, there was going to be no end to slavery. So Jefferson, in the phrase uh, that all men are created equal, blah, 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 blah. By him putting that in there, his intent and motive, according to his own writings, was so that they could target slavery later. Unfortunately, they had to rephrase it in some way because not all of the states were in support of ending slavery and they knew what he was doing, but they got enough in there to where there was a legal precedent that could be used. So, again, our independence from Great Britain was in part due to slavery. By the time the Declaration was signed, we had been fighting for a year in the fields already. Uh, the Boston Massacre had also happened as well. Crispus, I love Crispus. I want to read about him. He's the first man, a black man, that gave his life um, for our country. And he was given the largest funeral procession in the history of Boston to this day. Uh, he was the first to defy and he was the first to die. But he was willing to do that because he knew what was at stake. It was the freedom of slaves. Peter Salem, another black man, uh, fought and was heralded as a hero by Washington. And then Ned Hector fought in Brandywine in Germantown. Uh, George Middleton, he's another one that I um, am hoping to learn more about. He was of the Bucks of America, a colonel in the M.A. Militia, Massachusetts Militia. He started the African Benevolent Society in 1796 to help widows and orphans during um, the revolution. Another favorite um, that I've got to say a little bit is James Fortinen. Fortinen. He was the grandson of a slave, but the son of free blacks. As a boy, he heard the Declaration of Independence read in Philadelphia, and at 11, he joined the ship Royal Lewis and Captain Stephen Decatur. On 1781, he was captured uh, by British soldiers. He spent seven months in prison until released in exchange. And he says, I have been taken prisoner for the liberties of my country and will never prove a traitor in their interests. The reason he said that is the British that were holding him loved him so much, they begged him to join their cause. And he said, there's no way I'm going to betray America. And so he wouldn't. He instead went to prison. So, um, And then uh, the northern states went in slavery. Uh, it, James Madison, in June 17th of 1788, said there were a few slaves in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. These states would probably oppose any attempts to annihilate the species of property. 
So another myth, it was not just a Southern deal. Um, the abolition of slavery really began to gain momentum in 1787. And um, if... The states had left Jefferson's wording alone and alone and he wouldn't have to change it. They would have been able to eliminate slavery immediately. So the drafters of the Constitution, that's what they were fighting for. Um, but they realized there's no way we're going to be able to do this. So the country just wasn't ready. And um, so what they did is they knew that liberty needed to be preserved and so they did a three-fifths clause. Now, there's a lot of flack that comes against the, the three-fifths clause, but here is why that is in our Constitution. The Constitution does not say that black people are property, and the drafters felt that it was wrong to say that any man was property, but um, in Article 2, Section 2, Clause 3, the three-fifths clause, the purpose is taxation and representation. So what this means is taxation was assessed by the population, but in slave states, the owners wanted to count the population of their slaves as the population of the state so that they could vote according to their will, the slave owner's will, instead of the slave's will. Um, in other words, they wanted to have more sway and control of the government by counting all their slaves as part of the population. So that would mean that we would have never ended slavery ever. I don't even know if a war would have done it. And, um, and so the only way to avoid that was the three-fifths clause, meaning every three of five slaves can be counted as part of the population. So that's what that was. They weren't saying that black people were just three-fifths of a person. They weren't doing that at all. They were trying to prevent slavery from being enshrined forever in this country. And, uh, but you won't hear about that. You won't, like people that are all about this Black Lives Matter stuff and, you know, rewriting history with no sources. They don't go to the original people. They just make crap up, actually. Um, and you won't hear that that's what that was about. So we have to be discerning. We, you know, like the other day, you get whole news cycles that says that President Trump posed with a bat looking like he was going to hit D.A. Braggs in the head. Someone else made that up. He was actually holding the bat because it was a Made in America product, and he was praising that product. Um, then you had where he said death and destruction would follow if he was arrested. That's not what he said. He said, I'm afraid death and destruction might occur. So you can't even believe sometimes Fox News. I mean, I was watching Carl Rowe today. He's turd flower. And um, he was saying that, you know, that he said that. No, he didn't. He did not say that. And obviously you've not done your homework. So we have to study. We have to read the papers on our own. So, um, Thomas Jefferson, founder, third U.S. president, active abolition, he said, the abolition of slavery is an object of great desire in the, those colonies where it was unhappily introduced in their infant state. There is nothing I would not sacrifice to a practical plan of abolishing every vestige of this moral and political depravity. It is a hideous blot. And I can say with conscious truth, that there is not a man on earth who would sacrifice more than I would to relieve us from this heavy approach. And here's the final thing. Just to, how, how much of 
the population, percentage of the population, do you think in America were slaves? You think 20%, 50%, 30%? It was two. Two percent. And that was by 1850. So the 1850 census, 2% of America was enslaved. The way people talk about it, it was like the entire United States, half of the United States was enslaved. And it was only 2%. Now, this came from my good friend, Greg McNeil, who happens to be a black man. And... We were talking about the Bacon Rebellion, and I've mentioned this before, um, but the Bacon Rebellion is a very interesting deal that happened in Virginia where, um, let's see, how did it work? One of the Virginian landholders wanted the governor to take the land from the Indians because he wanted to expand his, his land. And the governor was like, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that's not what we do, contrary to the myth that we're told today. And so what he did is he got several other uh, landowners and they rebelled. They, they uh, armed themselves and a small revolt occurred. And the people that he had helped them were um, poor whites and blacks. And so the governor decided that could never happen again. And for the first time in the history of this country, the terms black and white were used. Before, if you were light-skinned, you were uh, European, or you were Irish, or you were Scottish. That's what you would tell people. You'd say, I'm Scottish, or I'm British, whatever you know that looks like. I'm English. Um, but after the Bacon Revolt, um, we were then white against black. And that's where the narrative got started, because the politicians never wanted the black and white people to join forces again and revolt against a government. So the whole narrative of black and white was invented for political purposes. So from that point on, division was uh, sowed amongst the races. So obviously, you know, um, there was already some people that had slavery. Um, you know, so again, I'm not saying that slavery was not in the colonies um, before, but I will say that America fought for her freedom, and one of the reasons was to end slavery. So when Coach Greg told me that, I found it very fascinating because he said that basically the racial divide served an agenda, and to this day, people see through black and white, and they don't understand that they're basically pawns of that agenda. I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but that's, that's the deal. So anyway, very, very interesting stuff. Again, we've got to go back and research things and not just take people at their word. Don't take me at the word. Read a Federalist paper for you too. I mean, it's right there. You know, dig around. You can't find anything good on Google. You have to use Neva or DuckDuckGo, but do your own research and learn this stuff. And I can tell you, Chris Ann Hall, her husband, I think is half black. He might be full black, but I don't think he is. He's the one that was talking about this. And the whole purpose of having the oppressed victim is you, that's the only way you can have the master oppressor. And the only way you can take a nation is if you have the oppressor oppressing the victim. That's the only way you can divide the country. It has been done over and over in Russia and Cuba 
in Venezuela and all of those countries, they know if they can get us fighting each other, we won't have a nation. All right, so that's it. I'm going to go have my Jesus time and then hit the hay. You know, I've been getting up super early and I've decided I want to up my game a little bit so I have more time to read. So I've been getting up a little bit earlier, you know, and I'm a little bit, a little bit sleepy as me and Mike call it. We call it teepees. And so if you ever hear me say teepees, it is so ingrained in me. I am referring to the fact that I'm tired. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I think it's tomorrow. Maybe it's Wednesday that we do the Daniel Company. Uh, I might do it tomorrow if I have time because I'm about to enter into a staycation. That doesn't mean I can't preach the word. So we'll get some word in and then we're almost done. We're almost to the book of Revelation, which is very fascinating. I'm now addicted to the book of Revelation. So we'll get into that pretty soon too. So have a good night and I will see you guys uh, uh, later this week. And I'm hoping to get another urgent education in since I forgot last week. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Have a good night. Small is a new big. God is shifting from the current church structure back to his original intent and design, the Ecclesia. The Ecclesia is the original word that was used when Jesus was describing that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 16, 18. In fact, most of the time when you see church, it's actually Ecclesia. The Ecclesia is his ruling government on earth made up of two or more. It's a noble this training. Go to churchshift.me. That is churchshift.me.